Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to let you know that ESPN is now in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha production to present Moxie Bets. Make bets with Moxie with betting expert Katie Mox and our merry band of gambling insiders as they preview lines, spreads, parlays, and props with personality and the kind of advice they'd give themselves. That's Moxie Bets. Listen wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Minikime Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts firmly believes that Chargers defensive lineman Morgan Fox should now win Defensive Player of the Year and MVP. Greg Rosenthal, do you know why? I do, because he's got a, a prize-winning pooch. Not just like a prize-winning pooch, like the best pooch, second best pooch, turns out, in the country. Um, so for those who don't know, Morgan Fox, former Ram, last with Carolina, uh, now with the Chargers, it has a French bulldog named Winston that came in second at Westminster. I'm saying Westminster. You say Minster, right? You don't say Minister. Anyways, um, behind the bloodhound, I think Winston should have won. I think he was robbed. He is much mm. cuter than the blood. I know that they don't judge on cuteness, but I think he was a lot cuter than the bloodhound. I have a friend who produces those, and I went to one like as a guest and brought my kids. Uh, sneaky, fun uh, live event. Maybe not even sneaky. Of course, it's fun. And I love the name Winston. Was also the name I gave uh, my cat. I think the first uh, pet I've ever named. That's my pa- my mom's dog's name is Winston. She just posted a picture of him on the internet because he's uh he's a little banged up. So send send my mom's Winston, who's a Shih Tzu mix, some love. Um, but yeah, I guess I I enjoyed reading about it. He kind of like was born into a a dog breeding family, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's it's a great story. I, it almost slipped under the radar too. I almost missed it until today. So I was very delighted to read that. Um, Greg, this is our first division preview. I feel like I, I feel like I had you on for the AFC East last year, probably. I feel like well. I don't Maybe think not. I've done a division preview. I've done a I've done a lot of Mina Kime show featuring Lenny. I don't think I've done one, and it wow. and it, it arriving is really like a, oh wow we're doing this. The season is coming. <laughs> it's sort of a a benchmark moment of like okay we don't have much time left in the summer. Do you guys do you guys do, do so? Greg, for those who don't know, is one of the hosts of the uh, incredible. Very popular around the NFL podcast. Do you guys do division previews? No, we should. Remember. We should. We're always like looking for how do we fill this time that this would be good. You know, you asked that, but then my last three podcasts in the heart of June have been the longest podcasts I've done in forever. The last one, I mean, the last two, both encroaching upon two hours. Um, so I don't know how that happens or why, but it has happened. Division previews, though, I don't feel like need to be as long, so I promise I won't keep you as long as I've kept Ruiz and Tyson, everyone. I feel like that was like a soft warning to not honk as much <laughs> as I normally do. And I think, yeah, the explanation for one of those, at least being that long, is just you had Nate Tyson as your guest. And the other one is 32 teams. I, anytime I have 32 teams, I'm just screwed. Um, okay, well, we only have four teams, and we are doing the NFC East. I kind of teased it last week. By going into a little bit too much detail on the Giants, <laughs> um, just because I was thinking about them and watching them, and then you and I, and then I, I got around to watching all these quarterbacks in preparation for this week. Um, and I, I, this is an interesting division. I, I like it's not, it, it's definitely one where I, I feel like the four teams could finish in any order. Do you agree or disagree? Before we get started. Wait, that the four teams could finish in any no, order? Okay, wait, that that's not right. No. no, okay. I think there's two that could win, and mm-hmm. then there's 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 like an t- upper half and a bottom half, and the upper half and the bottom half could both finish in any order. Do you agree with that? Yes, 
I definitely agree with that. And most divisions aren't like that with that big of a separation. I think we're actually kind of at peak NFC East right now because it feels like Washington and New York are down enough that we have a limited amount of national primetime games uh, with them, but they're, but they're more interesting, or at least the Giants to me are more interesting than usual. And then the Eagles and Cowboys at the top, that's like the ideal NFC East. Cause you're going to get six primetime games out of most of these teams usually. Uh, and I've spent way too much of my life watching uh, the Washington commanders. I love that the Eagles and Cowboys too, being spoiler, the upper tier teams are like, they're, they're perfect. Like they each have what the other needs. Right. And they're it really an interesting case study for like roster versus quarterback. I and mean, we'll get to those teams. I, I, let's start with the Giants because you just said they're the most interesting. Let me just start off by asking you, did you feel better or worse about this team after thinking about them? Hmm, worse. I do. I do this projected starter series and I uh, like after the draft and kind of go through each depth chart position. And it's a good prep for, for this type of pod. And I like think they're going to be more fun to watch because of the coach and because the offense, I think, could be interesting. But after going through the defensive depth chart, it was like hard for me to squint and make a case like for them to have a winning record. And usually I feel like most teams you can you can do that with. And it feels like it feels like a stretch. Yeah, it's interesting that the defensive coordinator is Wink Martindale because it kind of feels like it's going to be actually a little bit similar to the Ravens defense last year. You know what I mean? In terms of the personnel he has. Um, well, let's like start the with the post, offense. In, like the post-injury Ravens Yes, defense, the post-injury like Ravens. After they lost <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not. Yes, I'm talking about the Ravens defense we saw. Yeah, in, in the second half of the season. Um, let's start with the, the offense, though. Um, I, you've been, am I wrong to say you've been a little bit higher on Daniel Jones than the consensus? How do you- uh, that's right. I I embarrassed myself once on your podcast. We've now done this enough times that I actually remember <laughs> of bad takes I've had on this show. And I think I had just finished like a deep dive into Daniel Jones and Drew Locke. Um, oh, just because oh, I like I have a Locke. I think I have a thing for like mediocre quarterbacks that no one gives credit for just like mid level quarterbacks. And I, I am excited for Daniel Jones, if only because like it's a waste of time to make excuses for mid-level quarterbacks because that's probably like where they're going to end anyways. But I am happy for him to have a coach and a play caller mm-hmm. that I, I am excited about and an offensive line that I think should be his best ever because his first two years in the league, uh, he was second in the league in, in pressure rate face and just did not have much of a chance. And then the injuries last year too. So I, I, I don't think he's going to like turn into a superstar, but it's, I, I'm just happy. I want to watch him actually with this sort of group. Yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah. No, I mean, well, I, I'm interested in seeing the Brian Dable effect. So, you know, the case for excitement for New York, aside from an improved offensive line, which in, the bar was so low, you know, and you you are betting on. Ev- I think Evan Neal was seen by by a lot, you know, as a very pro ready prospect. He'll come in and play right tackle opposite Andrew Thomas, who's, you know, I think now widely seen as a successful pick for them. The interior they've got they brought in some vets, Feliciano, who's okay, you know, he kind of got bumped out of Buffalo. I, he, I don't know, has he played center before? I saw him in the depth chart at center. Um, he was a guard in Buffalo, so. I, well, you know, it's probably an upgrade. Uh, and then Mark Lewinsky, former Seahawk, Indianapolis. Again, you know, it's just improvement there, some steady presence. But the, the the Dable thing is, I think, the thing why people feel excited. And and I'm I'm interested in your take on 
what that'll do for Jones. Because with Josh Allen, who we can obviously, every Giants fan, no Giants fan actually believes like Daniel Jones is Josh Allen. No one is that delusional. But we saw what his offense did for him when basically Brian Dable realized, okay, Josh Allen struggles with accuracy. I am just going to put a bunch of fast skill players on the field and let's get them wide, spread things out, get get them wide ass open, and then the quarterback <laughs> will learn accuracy over time. With, with Jones, the issues are more decision-making, I would say, and um, you know how he responds at times to pressure, and it, which has been hard at times also, obviously, to assess because of his surroundings. Like, How do you feel that Brian Dable can help him the way he did Josh Allen. Well, the first is a protection because to me, like, yes, they look way better on paper. That's a good tackle group. They're potentially great. I like the idea of just like improving with average offensive linemen. Um, But but more to that, I'm a big like believer, like coaching is more important than anything on the offensive line. And that alone just feels like he's got a chance to dramatically improve. And he's a pretty good quarterback when he has time to throw and he's a pretty good decision maker. And like he, he earns that nickname. Like he, he, he can throw dimes. And I do think Dable will take advantage of his legs. He is not the runner that Josh Allen is or Jalen hurts. Who we're going to talk about later. Uh, he's like not instinctive. He's not going to make guys miss, but I think they'll be able to work in his running. Like they did a little bit early uh, last year with Daniel Jones with, with New York that, that, just makes life easier for him so that like that creativity and I just don't know like what Mike Kafka is gonna bring and I think that's kind of an underrated part of the whole equation here because it sounds like he's gonna call plays potentially and that's just like I don't I don't know what I'm gonna get but I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people who really like Mike Kafka and that combination Dable and Kafka sounds pretty good at at least to give Daniel Jones a chance yeah all the Giants reporters have been just excited uh, this spring to see like a modern NFL offense, I think, take shape. Um, you know, the, 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 the reports, oh my God, pre-snap motion, you know, um, <laughs> which is funny because they've got these two little fast dudes, uh, Kadarius Tony, who we'll see what the heck they get with him. And then Wandale Robinson, who they drafted, who seems to have a very similar skill set to Kadarius Tony in some ways. Um, but uh, one would think that Dable would be good at finding ways to deploy them horizontally and and like you know to the motion point like just giving Jones answers would be a huge upgrade giving him simple ways of getting information um you know would help him with I think some of the mental side of things and and you're right about the dimes I think one thing that always struck me about Jones is uh whenever you would organize at the end of the year statistics by which quarterbacks uh through you know 20 yard plus throws and who had the best performance you'd always see daniel jones near the top he wasn't throwing a ton because of the lack of protection but if they're able to actually give him time to take some of those shots and you know i imagine they're going to use more play action they did last year you could really see him generating some explosive plays the one thing thing i'll throw a little bit of water on is sometimes the athleticism worries me um he's like athletic and he's fast but he doesn't he he's so ungraceful to me that's what i I was talking about he's not really a good runner i mean he's a fast runner and if they call they call it at the right time he'll hit some but you don't want him out there too much he'll get hurt he has gotten hurt like he gets hurt you know like it's funny like when we talk about which dual threat court uh people always kind of 
hand-wring about dual-threat quarterbacks and their propensity for injury, when in fact a lot of the best dual-threat quarterbacks in the NFL are very good at avoiding hits outside the pocket, Daniel Jones is not one of those quarterbacks. Like, you do not no. want him with multiple design runs per game, in my opinion. No, he can help you in the red zone. He can scramble, but you get worried. Like, just because you're really fast doesn't mean you're, like, good at running the ball at an NFL level. And that that does uh, worry me. And I and I do wonder just about this group. Because, like, look, the first month of the last season, I, I thought he was making some progress. He was ranked sixth yeah. by PFF grades through four weeks last season. He had that Saints game where he looked really good. Um, when he gets protected, uh, he looks good. But this receiver group is just weird. I mean, you mentioned you know Tony and Robinson are kind of the same, and, and Robinson was a, was a strange pick. But I mean, so Sterling Shepard. Those are three guys that you sort of would imagine would be best yeah. in the slot. You don't. You literally don't have a tight end that I can I can look at and think like, okay, that guy's going to play more than 500 snaps. Maybe it's Ricky Seals Jones as as their top guy, but I just don't think they're going to use a position. And then they have Galladay. Hope hopefully they get like a bounce back year. But it's just it's a strange group and most of those guys you know don't stay on the field for long Darius Slayton there's trade rumors uh about him I have a feeling though I'm much higher on Kadarius Tony than you or than most because I feel like there's at least like a 10 percent chance that he's just incredible <laughs> like that yeah, he, right. he is a top you know 10 to 15 receiver in the NFL the way that he moved in yes. the rare games that he was healthy for last year was just special. And there's just like not a lot of people in the NFL that can move like that. Yeah. I, I mean, it was really hard to comp him. I, I remember back in the draft because his movement skills are so unusual and he doesn't really like run routes. <laughs> he just kind of <laughs> finds his way like froggers around the field or in college. Um, he would kind of just frogger his way around the field. And I'll, it is an interesting group of players. Again, when we try to think to the bills and what Ryan Dable did with those skill players, they were just so different, you know, from the ones he has here. Um, and, and that offense, of course, really took off with Stefan Diggs. There's no Stefan Diggs in this group, uh, which does make things harder for Jones. Um, but things will be easier than they were last year. So I guess just I'll, I'll wrap kind of on the offense by asking you, do you think there's any chance he sticks around? Because they didn't pick up the fifth year option. You know that the history of teams that do not pick up the fifth year options and then stick with these quarterbacks is, is I don't have in front of me, but it's not a lot, if any. I think there's a chance because I think there's a chance with Dable on the offensive line that he plays like average starter level or slightly above. And I guess that's where I sort of am higher on Jones than most. Like I, I think he's shown that he's an NFL quarterback. Like if he does, if he's not in New York next year, if he has like a similar type of season, um, I think he'll have a job next year. He'll either be competing or yeah. he'll, he'll have a chance to start again. Like when he's protected, he makes the throws. There's nothing about him that's, overly special which is why he's maybe stuck in the middle we didn't even mention Saquon you know being back and and that's probably typical but he could certainly help but I think Saquon is kind of a reminder of something that I feel like throughout this offense and it's true of the receiver group too it's like it's a bunch of injury prone players with absolutely Mm -hmm. no depth (laughs) and it's like then you could be in a situation like you were at the end of last year and I think nothing made Daniel Jones look better than the games that they had to play without Daniel Jones you know what I mean? Yeah. And if if they're if he's playing with a, a bad group of players again, it's just going to be tough. I, th- I think your point about like what the chances of him sticking around next year it does make sense, just because for a bunch of reasons. Um, one of which is like you, I do expect him to improve this year, and I do think he is. I've said on this podcast a lot. He's was has been better than I expected, certainly, um, but also because 
like the Giants are not going to be a destination for a free agent quarterback next year. So to move on, they would have to be in a position where they really felt like they could take one of the rookies. And I, I, I think there's just some pretty significantly worse. Team. I, I don't know, actually. I, I haven't really. Let me get back to that one once I get through the NFL. The defense is what gives me pause there because, well, I did. I compared them to the shell of the 2021 Ravens at the beginning of this, which I feel like kind of says it all. Um, it's it's a tough group. I mean, the hope is, Steve and I talked about this last week, Kayvon Thibodeau has a huge year. Um, Possible. But he's going to have to because the secondary is just, like I said, it's the, uh, well, I compared them to the 2021 Ravens. The end right. of the year. <laughs> right, post-injury. It's, it's crazy because well, it's just a weird combo. You have the coordinator who loves to blitz more than anyone with the secondary that just can't possibly hold up. And I'm sure I would think he'll adjust. Um, They're not going to be as blitz happy as maybe like the best Ravens year, but I would assume he's still going to be Wink Martindale. And then you have a Dory Jackson who is sort of the embodiment of like cornerbacks are really unpredictable, you know, because he can and has been a really good player and is a fun player to watch. I think um, for stretches and then he can be hurt and he can give up a lot of balls. Like, and you, if you get a great Adoree Jackson year and you get Xavier McKinney improving at, at safety, that's like two pieces, but that's still just not, not flying in 2022 when most receive, you know, you're going to have four and five receivers to cover and you have Aaron Robinson. I think they're going to have Julian love as probably their other safety. And they're just trying to figure out who their nickelback is. It's why I didn't get the Bradbury cut. Like it, it felt very much like a small market, cheap team move because they're just not spending money. They're 30th in cash spending. They're one of the lowest teams in cash spending over the last four years. And I just hate that because it's like you're not trying to win as much as possible this year, which is which is like fine. But it's just like, why? Well, what do you get? What are you really getting out of it? Yeah, Aaron Robinson was a slot corner. I mean, he's big. But um, yeah, and they're expecting him to be outside. He played a little bit outside last year. But yeah, I, I I will say Jackson, um, like I, I agree with you. Like he's kind of been up and down over the course of his career, and I think you saw a fit when he was healthy, like some up. He was last good last year. year. He was pretty good. Fifty five percent completion percentage, seventy three passer rating. That's the lowest of his career allowed. Just one point nine yards after catch per reception. So like, if they still had Bradbury, I think I would actually, I would be a lot more confident. But it's just you're you're really looking at like two guys that you feel decent about and then there's the health concerns with him too so um but you know like we'll see uh, you know that if Thibodeau really is that dude and Ojulari takes another step it's a decent front seven uh, well you also would need Blake Martinez to kind of be healthy and I mean there's you know some other issues there but you know Lawrence and Williams up front if you with combined with a a good edge rush that's definitely something to work with yeah, and Lenny Williams is a key. Like, he just wasn't as good last year. I mean, he was yeah. so good the year before, and he just wasn't nearly the difference maker. <laughs> I feel like all those defensive tackles have, like, taken turns being the best of their class, and he took a step back last year. Uh, so it it depends on, like, what you like and want as a defense. There is certainly a, a theory that it's, like, it, it's kind of like college. If you don't have as much talent um, as the other team, you do want crazy scheme guy. And you do want like the battleship guy who's just going to like in Wink Martindale, who's going to cook up like 
six game plans that act that give the opponent a lot of problems and you could try to get to the middle of the pack. But I just feel like the depth at every position on this whole roster, like I, they, they're on their way up maybe. And I like the, the uh, moves that they made this off season for the most part, I actually feel better about the giants long-term than I feel like I have in a decade. But I feel like this year, if you lined up all their backups, they would be one of the worst yeah. backups teams in the entire NFL. I feel like they're probably really unhealthy. I just was pulling up the 2023 cap. I mean, the Galladay contract is a punisher. But yeah, no, they they have the fourth most cap space in 2023. So like they've really kept their books clean. And like, I think that's just the kind of like your point about those is to feel like this roster can really contend with the pieces that they have and the lack of depth. Um you know, I, I think, you know, we see, I, the success thing was kind of an interesting question for them. Steven went with Thibodeau just being like, go with the best guy. But I, I went with Galladay thinking like Daniel Jones. And I think, I guess, I don't know. I guess that is because I, maybe I am more of a Daniel Jones believer than I thought. I don't know. I've kind of, I've kind of. Come, come to the dark side. He'll give him chances. Like he'll, like he, that was what was good about him the last the first, that first month of last season, he was making the best decisions of his career. And then as the season went on and it got terrible, he just started going back to like crazy Daniel Jones, run around, give, give guys chances, fumble the ball, um, which is probably the position he's going to be in with this defense is mm. trying to play catch well, up and give Galladay chances. I would like to see him give, I mean, take risks. I mean, last year, they were 28th in air yards per attempt. Um, you know, I like we said, like, I know it's hard because you have that you have to have that balance between the like, you know, bad decisions and um, the Jamison kind of side of him versus. I don't know uh, the conservatism, but I conservatism, but I'd like to see him push the ball downfield more in this offense. All right. Let's go to the Cowboys. Very, very different situation. One of the other two favorites. I guess I'll start here. Do you have the Cowboys or the, or the Eagles at the top? No, I have the Eagles. Okay. I'm going big on the Eagles. You're going big. After what? Didn't we big. both watch the Eagles playoff game this week? <sighs> we'll get. To, no, you know what? Put, put, put a pin um, in that. Put yeah. a pin in that. Put a pin. Yeah. Put a pin in that. Yeah. That was. That was. That was a. We'll get to there to the Eagles. I'm still deciding. I'm going to make a call at the end of the podcast. Um, I actually okay. I felt worse about the Cowboys defense but better about the Cowboys offense after doing this how about you I th- I think I feel better about the Cowboys because my first Just instinct generally. this offseason was to be was to be down on them generally lost a lot of talent. and then right it, you lost a lot of talent there's the whole like the Cowboys can't handle success thing which sounds stupid uh, but man, it's been true for the, the last 20 years. Like one, once they have anything good happen, they almost always the next season disappoint. It's it, they almost always go opposite of expectations. And I think there is something there. Like in, in <laughs> was it last they... season the disappointing season? <laughs> was last season the good season? <laughs> well, that's maybe maybe they avoided it. But no, I think they over. I think they beat expectations for the most part. It just ended so poorly that like that's yeah. that's all we remember. But you still see all the. First of all, you still see Dak Prescott sitting there, uh, which to me answers a lot of questions. And you just still see the top tier talent throughout the roster. Like you can come up with a case for how many different players on this team making All Pro. Uh, I would say mm. at least five, <laughs> five or okay, six. Pres- and there's just Pres- there's just not many NFL teams that you could say that about. Wait, wait, I want to go through the roster now. Prescott, Lamb, I guess Tyron Smith, 
Zach Martin, mm-hmm. uh, Demarcus Lawrence, Micah Parsons, and then Diggs. Yeah, that's seven. So that, that's I guess Ty- Tyron Smith is probably a little generous. Probably. But even even he when he played last year was pretty close to like Tyron Smith. Yeah, so yeah. it's like if if he's he showed up, he's he's a big X factor. Like either he's not healthy again, or he could show up and be peak Ty- Tyron Smith, like Trent Williams just had a season like that, or he misses ten games and they're just like not the same team. <sighs> the offensive line death. Woof. Um, I feel like the Cowboys can just be kind of summed up in a single, or the prospects can be summed up in a single sentence, which is Dak regression versus defense regression. Hmm. Which one triumphs? Um, do we get the Dak we saw weeks one through six? Or do we get the Dak from the second half of the season? If we get the first Dak, will that be enough to counter a defense that's not going to get us to any turnovers? It feels pretty simple, right? Yeah. Is that oversimplifying? I, Am I no, oversimplifying? No, I, I like that. And I would generally answer I'm going to trust in the quarterback. It matters more. But I, I think the problem is you could get Dak getting back to where we expect him to be and the receiver group around him and every and potentially the offensive line is diminished to the point that he's got to play better just to keep their offense around where right. they were last year. And that that's more what worries me. But I am someone that's like falling for the offseason hype pieces on Dak that his body's looking good and he's going to run like he's someone that actually feels meaningful uh, for and I'm probably just falling for it. Uh, how much of second half Dak do you pin on the high ankle? It was high ankle, right? Or no, calf, calf. Pardon me. How much do you think is was the calf? What percent? I don't know. A low percentage, maybe twenty or something, because because he was just so adamant about it. He, you know, he said that. I remember on the Rich Eisen show, he said like, "You guys keep giving me this out. You guys kept giving me this out." And this was after the season was over, way yeah. past when it was a factor, and it didn't necessarily seem like a physical thing. Maybe it was when you're missing throws, because a, a lot of it was decision making. And when your best strength, which is you know, reading the defense pre-snap, reading the defense post-snap, making good decisions, like being good at sort of everything suddenly turns into you don't know which Dak is going to show up week to week or quarter to quarter in terms of decisions. It was like, who is this Dak? I, I don't know who this guy is. And I felt very uh, unstable watching him. That's why I don't know. I I don't know enough about the human body <laughs> to, I think, fully answer this question. But like, I, I'm like, I don't understand how... The Terminator from weeks one through six is making these decisions. Like it blew, and that's why I just found myself being like, maybe it is a lack of faith in the body. I don't know. Like I, well, it certainly was with this lack of running, which I think just changed everything. Like that he wouldn't take five or six hours because he had some monster games. I I kind of forgot about him in December. So that's sort of why yep. I don't know if it was a physical thing. He had some big games, but they just were erratic. I posted a stat, or I brought it up on FL Live, not the biggest sample size, but reasonable sample size, um, where from weeks one through six on design rollouts and scrambles, he had a QBR of 94 and a completion percentage of like 90%. And then weeks eight through 18, um, the QBR fell to 47. Mm. And his yards per attempt went from 10.63. I mean, you, you you remember, you know, when he would roll out those crossers to Lamb, the deep crosser. You know, he, he had so many successful big plays. And then again, in that second part, uh, 6.96 yards per attempt. I'm not saying that's like all of it right there, but I do remember watching him try to throw on the move and him just making shit throws, like yeah. some real stinkers. And like, 
again, I don't know if that's body, but it definitely factored into that second half. Um, and, and but and I do have, I, I do think it's worth noting. You, you, you're, you're making a point. Like he did have some good games, and that was also what made it confusing. Because I think if it was all consistently bad, we'd more likely to blame the body, right? Because we'd be like, okay, clearly he wasn't himself. But every now and then he would look really good. I, I don't know. The whole thing was really, really confusing. I was really bummed sneakily by the loss of Cedric Wilson. Like when they traded Amari, I was like, that's fine. <laughs> Cedric Wilson should be a number three, anyways. Um, but I don't, I don't mind. James Washington from Pittsburgh, and you know they drafted Jalen Tolbert. I, I I do think the offense is going to look different, um, and I'm very curious to see how Kellen Moore responds to the challenge of the change in personnel. But I think by and large, the offense, like you said, will probably be somewhere between the just absolute worlds destroying, you know, battle star we saw, and then whatever we saw at the end of the season. Right. I mean, Kellen Moore. It sounded like a couple weeks ago on your podcast was starting to lose. Nate Tice, which I feel like is troubling for him. Oh, no. <laughs> like once you lose Nate, Orla- it's in Orla- control. Orlowski's Orla- Orla- been a little bit, uh, a-, a-, a little bit critical too. That worries me. Like I trust his opinion on the play calling more. Uh, I don't trust Mike McCarthy to like make up for things and be overly well prepared. I I am very worried about the receiver group. I mean that's that is my concern. Tolbert. I mean who knows? At least I don't. Unless you have a hot, hot take. James Washington. To me, if he was on a different team, I wouldn't be sure that he would make the team. I mean, he he was pretty up and down with emphasis on down in Pittsburgh, which is like receiver heaven. And I know he was with Ben, you know, old Ben Roethlisberger the last couple of years. But I just think they, they are a team and they have, uh, I believe they have the cap space to do it. That just seemed like they could really use a veteran, whether it was like a Will Fuller OBJ is probably uh, not going to happen, but there there are a few players out there. I don't T.Y. even know. Hilton's still T.Y. out there. T.Y. T.Y. Hilton. Like, add Will Fuller to this team. I, I would yeah. like to see that. I would like to see that. Also, Michael Gallup, we should mention, is coming off the ACL. Right. If he not was healthy, sure. I wouldn't have just kind of gone on that whole rant there. But he's coming off of an ACL, <laughs> might not be ready for the start of the season. So I just think it's a lot to ask him to step in and be, like, solid number two for the first half of the year at the very least. I, I went – I feel like at the end of the year, I made a joke about Cedric Wilson wearing number one, and he just made me eat my words so often that I might be overrating him a little bit too much. No, they could but, use um, him. If he was on this team, I feel he's much a better. Good I'm player. With you. Also, beautiful, beautiful arm. The touch wow. when he threw the ball. My God. What team is he on right now? He's he's on the Dolphins. Oh, Another no. Team the jokes. The jokes. No jokes. No jokes. Um, yeah, the defense is the regression thing. I mean, like, so I guess. Defense, we talked about it with Deontay Lee on uh, the defense pod, you know, finished first. In, I mean, they're, they're a fascinating statistical story, right? Because they've been first in, first in like DVOA, EPA, um, and then in, you know, like third down conversion rates, top three and all of that. But then 20th in yards allowed, 29th in yards completion, fairly boomer bust, obviously led the league in interceptions. So there's the concern of like, okay, well, how much of that success was based on turnovers? Um, a lot of it. So I think the feeling, it, I mean, the more, I don't think they're going to be bad because I think there's just too much talent, but more likely than not, they're not going to be one of the best defenses in the league this year. Right. History tells us that just with defenses and especially how turnover dependent they were. But like, I would totally listen to a Cowboys fan pushing back hard and like seeing the path for them to do it ag- again. Uh, because Lawrence and Parsons, 
if Lawrence is healthy and right and kind of playing how he yeah. was towards the end of the year, that's the best duo in the league. I, I think the defense kind of goes as far as uh, Odigizua and Gallimore go. Gallimore, I really liked as a, as a rookie, didn't get yeah. to play much last year. Odigizua looked last year like he could really be a player. Like if their defensive tackles. looked awesome at first. Like right. When, right when he first started playing, I was like, oh my faded, God, this guy. If those yeah. two guys step up and they're both young young players in in a pretty good situation like this is a pretty nasty looking front uh and and they have great continuity on the back end it's almost like they might have too much continuity i don't know like they just rolled back the exact same group well i think they were hoping that the uh kelvin joseph was kentucky right the corner that they mm-hmm. got in the second round would be a starter but he's involved in some um it's like a, i don't want to get this wrong but like a murder investigation. Well, he, like you know, I, I read that a lot and I, in, in, he ended up, you know, going to the police and, and saying everything that happened. He was in a car, which a murder occurred and he wasn't okay. the person, you know, that, that, that happened. So, and so much it, more responsible than me right now. Thank you so right. much. It, it, for- no, but it is very confusing. And the Cowboys seem confused by it. He was shaken by it. He was v- practicing and he did go to, okay to the police um, immediately and say what happened and someone was arrested. So I don't know what, um, what his status will be, but I don't, I don't think he would be a, would be a starter right now. Anyways, it would probably be Lewis and and Brown. I mean, I guess I was thinking in the second round, the hope is that he would be, but um, like Brown and Lewis were a lot better than I, maybe not, you know, fantastic. But, Your boy Dan um, Quinn, like he can do do new things. He wasn't. It wasn't much yeah. cover three. It was like cover one. It was cover it was, one. It was the most cover one heavy team in the league. Um, yeah, I, I think that the content. I mean, shoot, he got an, a fantastic season out of Jaron Curse. Like I didn't. Yep. See that coming necessarily. So there is a lot of continuity in the back. And yeah, I do think if Lawrence is healthy, and that interior D line group someone really steps up whether it's Gallimore Hill or uh, or Diggy I think they call um that you could see a top 10 group if not the best in the NFL Mm. Um, Sam Williams is getting like Cowboys draft pick hype too but I could see it as like the third rushers second round pick uh for them and again it's such mm -hmm. a good situation I'm not worried about Randy Gregory leaving at all like Randy Gregory gave them 350 good snaps in two different stretches over seven years. Um, I think people got a little carried away with like what a loss that what? that that was. Um, One thing, yeah, it's, I think it was because of the drama, like of them trying to get him. And right, then, right, yeah. But they'll be fine. One like, thing, that, I, pass rush is their least is their least concern. I'm curious how they use Micah. What do you think there? I, so I was just about to say, if they do use Micah more as an edge rusher, I would say off ball linebacker is a little bit of a concern for me. Uh, Van Der Esch still being there, Jabril Cox up and down. Um, I don't. I still think this team. I do think this team could struggle in run defense, yes. but I don't think that won't be like the death of them per se. Um, I'm curious what what Dan Quinn will do because most games last year it was like either Micah Parsons is a pass rusher <laughs> or yes. Micah Parsons is a linebacker. And if you look at the snaps of, of where he even aligned, like it really lines up that way. It was mostly all or nothing at the very end of the year, the Cardinals game where he played really well. Yes. And in the playoff game too, where he made some good plays in the running game. Um, he was like the only one who did, uh, it was pretty mixed and it was, it was like leaning towards off ball linebacker, but with like, you know, 40%, 35% pass rusher, which, which feels like it's not even enough. I want him more as a pass rusher. 
Well, it's 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 interesting, right? Because in, on one hand, you feel like probably the more confusion, the better. And you do kind of want to see almost like that mixed usage in game. But then on the other hand, like if he's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, right. you know, let him rush the passer. Um, yeah, he. I, I don't know what his odds are for defensive player of the year, but I would definitely put money on that. All right. Speaking of money, we're going to take a quick break, come back and talk about the, no, should we do the commanders first? Or the Eagles. Yeah, Which would let's, you rather let's, do? let's close big Should with we... the Eagles. Let's finish with the Eagles. Okay, all right. We'll talk, we'll talk about the commanders and everything that's going on with them on and off the field. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Oh boy. I don't know why I said speaking of money because that wasn't actually, it's not really like this isn't a money story with the commanders. It is a little bit because money at one point seemed to be the, the one thing that might actually lead to uh, owner Dan Snyder's, Dan Snyder's ousting um, the reports that a former Washington employee uh, was accusing them of skimming, you know, leading people to say, oh, finally, that'll be it for the um, for the team. Let, let, let's talk about the football team first, though, and then talk about these hearings and the latest with Dan Snyder, if that's all right with you. Um, I, I, I just feel for Commanders fans. Don't you feel for them? Yeah, the ones that are left are are a hearty bunch. And I I know some, and they are as beaten down and as, like, dark in terms of their jokes. Like, they they hate their team, basically. But they're just like, I can't quit it anyways. I can't. I I feel for them because I have not met a Commanders fan who defends Dan Snyder. (laughs) No, I mean, no. They're they're anti-Dan Snyder more than anyone, it feels like. They just are exhausted. And I, yeah, it sucks. It really, really sucks. Um, but 
we'll we'll talk about him in a second. I did want to talk about the team. Um, the team, no longer the team, the Commanders. I'm actually surprised how quickly I got used to saying that. Do you feel the same way? I'm not. No, I'm not used to it. I still actually like calling them the Washington Football Team. I wanted them to stay it. There's this like YouTube clip or or Twitter clip of Carson Wentz. I really recommend you find where it's, it's like a hype video of him landing on the plane, and he's like. All right, uh, Commanders fan, uh, landed in Washington. We are really getting ready to finally start to take command. And it's just like the, the, the least hype thing I've ever seen, oh, and it really no. makes me laugh. Let me say something nice. Yes. I didn't like the trade. I criticized the trade. But Carson Wentz is an upgrade over Taylor Heineke. 19th and 20th, by the way, in completion percentage over expected uh, from week seven on. So, they're, you know, the, I, I agree he's an upgrade, but he's still one of the lower tier starting quarterbacks in the league, I would say. Under pressure, he was 25th in CPOE. I uh, <laughs> run that back up. So, um, oh, no, pardon me. That's wrong. When kept clean. Mm. Which actually makes sense. Doesn't that make sense? Yes. And that's why I sort of don't believe in him as a starter. To me, that's like the number one test. It's kind of why I think Daniel Jones oh, is, is an NFL starter. Can you deliver when you're actually protected? Like that's sort of the baseline. And if you can do that, <sighs> at the very least, you'll be in the league 12 years and, and play a lot. The thing with Carson Wentz is like he's going to make more. So, you know, the, the upside story with him is that he'll make big plays. He is athletic. He will push the ball downfield, which is something Heineke could not. And he'll do those things generally when he is under pressure or he's on the move. Um, but when he's not is, I think, when you've seen some of those really... Well, no, no, that's wrong. You've seen some of the bonehead mistakes when he's under pressure. But when he's not, you've seen kind of a lack of consistency. And why did I start optimistically and now I'm like going negative? Um, I, okay, I'm going to try to say something optimistic again. It's going to be a more interesting offense, don't you think? Yeah, I think you can argue he has better weapons here than he did in Indianapolis. And while I certainly would take Frank Reich over most anyone, including Scott Turner, uh, your listeners are are, um, treated to two of the foremost members of scott turner hive at least i mean like it's a it's a low simmering hive it's just like i think he's better than people think he's he's i don't mind scott turner i don't i think i think he's gonna help carson wins i don't think he's gonna be a negative certainly been dealt we talk about quarterbacks and players being dealt challenging hands he's been dealt probably one of the worst hands uh play callers wise since coming there um do you think that he's just going to like, you know, with, with Wentz, he's going to say, all right, here are all these plays. I, here's the Fitzpatrick playbook I had going into last year. Let's just roll with that. <laughs> no, no. I think he'll look at what the Colts did to some degree and build off of that in that I, I think Reich did a good job protecting Wentz. Um, you know, it's a lot of schemed up throws. I think that's what Turner can do really well. Like like him and Norv. I think Norv, not that Norv's underrated, but. I think people forget what a great uh, play caller North Turner was for most of his career. Um, I think he'll get guys open and he has guys that can get open. If Samuel stays healthy, you have Jahan Dotson, who I know you love Terry McLaurin mm-hmm. and Curtis Samuel that and, and Antonio Gibson, when they want to use him or McKissick out of the backfield. And it's like, those are four guys that are just like 
walking off the line of scrimmage open and they'll try to get the ball out of his hands. And Wentz's biggest issues are, you know, inaccuracy and decision-making. And I I think the Colts covered that up for big stretches of the season and he's streaky. Uh, And I think Washington will try to do the same. And with those players, I think you'll probably, you'll probably get some pretty good days out of Carson Wentz. Well, we should note also that the Washington offensive line is kind of as good as, is that, is that too bold? I mean, with the left tackle situation in Indianapolis last year. Similar. I think yeah, I think they're in the argue, same ballpark yeah. where they're like average to better than average-ish. And that's where I'm kind of trusting in coaching because they were... Top 10. Yeah, last well, year Well, Brandon Scherf's gone. They lost, they lost Scherf. Um, but then you, you bring in... Uh, let's see. Let Norwell and Turner. Norwell so you're kind of trusting on the coaching well. to like take these older guys and make it work. And I, I kind of do just because they've been pretty solid as a line the last two years. Bears fans were making fun of me on Twitter because I was like, why did the Bears let Charles Leno walk? Well, he was, we would have been the best Bears offensive lineman by the, sorry, I don't know why I'm rubbing dirt in the face of Bears fans. I'm sorry. That's no, they deserve it. Cr- you know, they cruel um, and unnecessary. Well, the Bears, they didn't ask them to pay Jimmy Graham. <laughs> so <laughs> instead of Charles Leno. Um, yeah, I like this group of skill players. I, I, I think, you know, obviously you would need Curtis Samuel to stay healthy, but, um, and I, I assume Terry McLaurin's going to get paid. And this but even then, if if Dotson, you you were higher on Dotson, I think, than I was. But if Dotson is half as good as kind of the hype piece is coming out of Washington and, and good off the bat, McLaurin, Dotson, even if Samuel's out and like Cam Sims or, or De'Ami Brown is your three, like, let's fly. That's pretty solid. That's nice. Well, between McLaurin and Dotson have something in common, which is they both have really, really good catch radiuses that belie their size, which one would assume would help with Carson Wentz. Um, and yeah, like it, it is, I would say, I, w- I wouldn't say like one of the better groups of skill players in the leagues, but certainly above average. Brown really let me down last year. I thought he would be much better. Um, you know, I really liked him at UNC, especially, I, w- I guess I, if, you, if you got Wentz, again, with the premise that he's going to push the ball downfield more, one would think... Brown could benefit from that in the same way he did at college with Sam Howell, who's, of course, on the Washington roster. Um, and how do we feel about a good Anthony run Richardson? blocking team? Like they'll run they'll run pretty well. They drafted Brian Robinson in the third round, which was weird to me. But I think just a sign they're going to well, want to run a lot. Antonio Gibson, maybe you get a little more out of him by using him a little less. But I think we both love Antonio Gibson. It, it's why I was frustrated by the Wentz trade, because I think you could have just put in uh, some of the quarterbacks that got backup type contracts like Teddy or or Jameis, who had the mid-level one, and they would be just as good or better, uh, I think better yeah. in this situation for, for less. You wouldn't have had to give up the picks. I think you're, I would like to see Antonio Gibson used less. I think some of his production suffered a little bit as the year went on. I am, I, I don't know. I am sorry. It can work. I feel like it can I, work. You know, they improved a lot offensively last year. They actually went from 32nd in DVOA, I think, to like 21st. So it was really all about the defense that they collapsed. Also, I was totally wrong. I had a feeling I was wrong with those Wentz CPOE numbers. He was 26th in CPOE when pressured. So, uh, and 19th kept clean. So it's all, all not great. Not great. Um, yeah, I, I think success for this team it's god what is success for this team i mean do you think that they know that like where they are like what do you think is their assessment of their own 
place in the world. Well, I think it's the third year with this regime, and I think that's yeah. always a big year, and you need to show something. Um, so I think success is a keeping their everyone keeping their jobs next year, which I, I think is being around five hundred. And to me, that's 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 success. Like the bar should be higher, but for for Rivera, he's a defensive coach, and for the defense to be that much worse in year two and not look better necessarily on paper personnel wise going into year three than you were when he came in like that. That's concerning. Do you think the defense is going to be better? Yes. I mean, I think they'll hard be to, hard to be worse. like average. Hard to be worse. I think they went from third to 27th in DVOA and it feels like right in the middle is about where you could expect because they still have a lot of good players. So, probably the most confusing unit in the NFL to me, both in the front and the back. I would say in the front, just relative to the level of talent they had, even when Chase Young was healthy, obviously, we've all talked about this a lot. Um, the pass rush was utterly disappointing. 22nd in pressure rate with a four-man rush, 19th in pass rush win rate, blitzed a lot more than one would expect. Well, I think that ticked up when Chase Young got hurt. Um, really, like Jonathan Allen was the star of this defense, um, and which was shocking, I think, given some of the expectations of Young coming off of that rookie season. Right. They were much better when uh, Chase Young and Montesquieu got hurt. Obviously, it wasn't because they got hurt and the players behind them were better, but it was just well, yeah, the, was the fact that they were the worst yeah. defense in the league, just about. And a lot of it was on the back end. And that I guess that's sort of what I'm getting to with Rivera, where it's a big year for him because I do think he's a good defensive coach. And I, I think his Panthers team's often were better than you expected because they were so fundamentally sound. They were very consistent and they seemed very well coached and they would max out what they got in the back end. Uh, I think through communication and like coaching and just not making mistakes. Um, and they were like the opposite of that as a team last year. And I think he was scrambling. So whether it's his, him or Del Rio on paper, they have enough good. I'm not in love with their secondary, but they have enough good players in the front that, that they should be okay, but they're just not as, they're not as deep. Like that's what I was saying when their roster, I don't think is as good as it was a couple of years ago. You lose Tim Settle, who was a good uh, backup for them. Uh, you lose Ioannidis. It just, they're not quite as deep and as fearsome mm -hmm. as they used to be. Yeah. I mean, the secondary kind of figured things out as a year went. I mean, relative to the first half, it'd be hard not to be better when they just look totally out of sorts. Um, I talked about, with the X Factor, I picked William Jackson the third and talked about how, you know, they brought him on. The thought was that he would be like a, you know, they would play more man coverage and they just kind of didn't. And he really, really struggled with zone. But as the year went on, you saw him get a little bit more comfortable. Obviously, they moved Landon Collins, who's no longer this roster, to be a linebacker. So moved him up closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, and then, you know, but it kind of felt like everyone kind of fell into their natural place a little bit more as the year went on. But you know, down year for Kendall Fuller. Um, and, and, you know, it's the same players, right? Like, so I, I still like Cam Curl, one of their safeties a lot. Uh, it was like a seventh rounder, I think. Um, but I don't, like, there's not like an injection of talent here. You're just hoping that the coalescing you saw in the second half of the season continues. The Rivera thing is interesting because this team drafted Jamin Davis in the first round. Do you think his hope was that he could be like, I wouldn't say like a Keekly, but like, I don't know, play a much mm -hmm. bigger role in this defense than he has? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe more of a Thomas Davis, um, but yeah, yeah. like, 
Yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, there, he, there's the reports coming out of Washington this year. That's like, he looks less lost. Like he was lost a year ago and he's no longer lost. And that that's concerning because it, it, it really sounded like he's not even totally guaranteed snaps now. And, and that's, it's a passing league and like, yeah, they might have a very good pass rush and that'll make up for everything. Um, but if your backs, you know, when your linebackers on the field are him and Cole Holcomb and pass coverage, and then Jackson, who you mentioned, is up and down, it just feels like there's going to be a lot of holes there to, to throw to. Cole Holcomb's been okay at times. I remember yeah. watching when I first started liking Cam Curl, I think is when I first started liking Cole Holcomb. I was like, oh, he's no, nice he's player. good. I mean, he was a fifth round pick, and uh, he's probably one of the few young players on this roster that I think they will be giving a long term extension to. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right. So just for those who haven't been paying attention, um, this last week with the House Oversight Committee on Congressional Reform, I hope I got that right, I don't have it all in front of me, um, finally had their hearing on the Washington football team. Dan Snyder did not come. But then at the end, Carolyn Maloney, uh, representative of New York, uh, subpoenaed him, which was a interesting curveball at the end I, I don't know if people expected that or not um but <laughs> you sneaky uh, so are they, kind of fascinated by the legal aspects of all this i feel i like. i'm not i'm not just sneakily fascinated about it. i'm fascinated by all of it um they put out a 29 page report which i encourage everyone to read a lot of it has come out already in the washington post with regards to all of the terrible uh aspects of washington's culture um the basically acceptance or alleged acceptance pardon me and um brushing aside of sexual harassment the you guys are probably familiar with the cheerleaders scandal which all all this has come out over the course of several years now more recently there's this there's the revelation that um a female employee also accused dan snyder himself of sexual assault in 2009 and he settled they settled with her. His camp settled with her for, I think it was like $1.6 million. I guess, Greg, what strikes me the most about all of this is kind of reading the report. Well, there's two things. There's the NFL side of it, which we can talk about in a second. But then there's the Snyder side of it. Because when all these stories would come out with Snyder, um, you know, it, it, people would always ask, well, does this, did they get him? Like, does this connect to him? But when you read the report, like, it connects to him so much, both in the past with the actual allegations and then in the present where – as the NFL or the Wilkinson, Beth Wilkinson was doing her investigation, which of course was never written down, even though the NFL, it comes out, did at one point want it written down. Daniel Snyder himself was conducting his own investigation, investigation, like sending private investigators to people's homes. This all happened like last year. This is not ancient stuff. So I think to me, the biggest takeaway is just how much Snyder's fingerprints are over all aspects of this story. Yeah, I think you you said it well, and I think they're trying to like emphasize turning the page and that, hey, we hired Ron Rivera and he's changed culture and we hired Jason Wright and he's changed the culture and you hit the nail on the head on Twitter, which is like, well, no, um, some of this was happening last year. Um, Roger Goodell had to answer for Dan Snyder not being uh, the day-to-day operator of the team to his knowledge u- using his words um, when there's some pretty obvious evidence that he has been um, involved in on a day-to-day basis. And the athletic has a good, like kind of a listing of how many ways Ron Rivera and different 
you know, people have, have talked about that and that some, some of what's happened ha- has been in the last year. And I, I just think that everyone involved like knows the story, like Roger Goodell yeah. knows the story. I feel like, I, I feel like everyone who works for Washington knows what the deal is and not, you can't say that it's going to be different or that something has changed as long as the owner is there. And that that's the big question but like how can you say that anything is different if nothing at the top has changed and i I don't feel like the nfl's you know change to tanya snyder was meaningful i responded to someone who said "Ah, no one really cares about these owner stories and i said well no i think they do care i think there's just like a lot of fatigue because with daniel snyder at this point it's it's just like literally hard to keep track of it all i don't think i i think i missed a ton of stuff by the way in my little recap there uh, but then no, no, including uh, that that he didn't Snyder didn't not, you know notify Goodell. That was one thing that came out of the two thousand nine reportedly right, which he was supposed to. Yeah, the NFL was so so right of the sexual assault. I mean, this accusation. has been two, this has been two decades, and that's and that and that's part of the thing that I I have to imagine is frustrating, for, you know, for for Roger Goodell. But you know, they asked him if he would change ownership. Said he didn't have the power to do that. He does have the power to recommend the process start, which would yes. you know involve a vote. Um, and it just Which there th- hasn't been any indication that that would happen. I think there should be more pressure on Roger Goodell to do that. I, that that was something I didn't know until you know it sort of came out in all these proceedings. And I think that it's kind of like you know. So I was going to say, people say, well, you know, I said I think there's been fatigue, and I received a lot of replies. Well, a lot of people are tired of the story because we feel like nothing will happen, which is like kind of like a sentiment that you think you could apply to a lot of society mm-hmm. in this country right now. But um. I do. I, I. I. think that's totally accurate. And so then it becomes to okay. Well, we have all this information. There's the question of what can Congress actually do. But then there's the question of kind of okay. Well, what do what do we want? What are we asking for here? And I think, you know, asking Goodell to actually call these owners to task and like kind of move. I guess shift the locus of responsibility so that he no longer can be a total meat shield for all of them, but actually put it to a vote does matter. So I think that's probably something that uh, I don't know. I'll be focusing on more, I think, with my commentary. Um, it's just endless, man. It's just like endless with this guy. I, right. I just It's so depressing. And it's coming at a, you know, at a time when they're trying to get a new stadium built, which they were trying to get public funds for. Um, it's like you said, all their fans have been beaten down so hard, like rooting for a team that just doesn't love you back. And it, it, it should be like one of the prime NFL franchises it was. And, and it, I guess I would just leave it with like it, it absolutely impacts the team. And that's the thing where I think it gets yeah. lost a little. Cause like what he's being accused of and everything that he's done is so much more serious than whether they're winning or losing. But I don't think it's um, unconnected that this type of leadership has been in place while they had two seasons um, with double digit wins over the last two decades, uh, rife with controversy at, at basically every turn. I mean, it's 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 all yeah. connected. I think that's right. God, I think everyone in in that building probably is as exhausted. Those who were not involved or you know even part of the quote unquote new regime are probably as exhausted as um, the fans themselves. Um, all right, something to monitor. God, the NFL these days. It's like we went from the 20 lawsuits being settled to that story in like two days. I know, and it's like June. We were, we were just talking about that on, around the NFL podcast last week. And it's just like, come on. <sighs> okay, Eagles question. Uh, outside of the yeah. quarterback position, 
where yeah. would you say this roster ranks in the NFL? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, top five for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I would have to like go through it, but my instinct would be a, they'd be in, like, you know, in my top three or four. If this, I feel like this, I'm starting this off by alienating Eagles fans with the way I'm burning these questions. But um, to the thing I said earlier about like them and the Cowboys, if Dak Prescott was the quarterback, where would you rank them power rankings? Ooh. Well, I, I'm very high on the Eagles, even, you know, with Jalen Hurts yeah, as their quarterback. So yeah. with Dak Prescott as their quarterback. We'll get to Jalen in a second. Yeah. I think because I would uh, be feeling spicy, I think I'd put them tops in the NFC, and um, you know they would be, they would be right there, probably behind the Bills and the Chiefs. Okay. I would still would put the Bills and the Chiefs first. I didn't think uh, Nate's n- Chiefs number one uh, offense ranking was that spicy. I was like, oh, I think I might put them there too, or at least. Yeah, so, so I would put the Eagles like right behind those guys if they had Dak Prescott. So I've started this Eagles praise, but I think make probably <laughs> Eagles fans listening are like not thrilled. Um, let's talk about that off. Let's just start. Let's just rid the band-aid and talk about the offense. Um, I alluded to the fact that I had watched, I think we both watched the wild card game. And uh, I, I keep, I feel like too many of my feelings about teams and players right now are based on the last time I saw them. I, yeah, don't do that. Like, don't do that. And I, and I don't want to do that with Jalen Hurts. I really don't. Um, so I actually, you know, tried to go back and, watch a couple quarters that I remembered being impressed by him, uh, you know, <laughs> in the second half of the season. No, I'm laughing. Nothing. I mean, I just, I like that you're, you're the mental gymnastics you're getting to try to convince yourself into Jalen. The thing you're not, you're, you're buying the offense. You're not buying Jalen necessarily when you're buying the, the notion that this team can be successful. Um, I think the question, though, you have to ask is what we saw from the Bucks and a couple other defenses against this offense, which is, of course, very unique and built around not just Jalen, but also the you know dominance of the run game, which, of course, is very closely tied to Jalen. Is that in like, is that something like w- what we saw for the Bucks, which I think I characterized to you as disrespectful, the way that defense played him? <laughs> it was a tough scene. It was tough. Is that something like, are, are we just going to see that from, from, I, by the way, I want to know, I think it takes a good defense to do what the Bucks did. Because uh, even if you're coming to this game saying, we're going to crowd the box and make Jalen throw, well, it, it's actually not that easy. You know, um, they do have answers, uh, but the Bucks not only did that, but I thought, you know, held up very well in coverage as well behind them. So it, it wasn't like guys were like wide open, you know, in this game. But I, I just wonder like, if you're a good defense, do, are you worried about this offense? Yes, absolutely. Because they they have so many problems that they present for you and, and did so well against some really good some defenses. Good um, like the Saints. Who else am I forgetting? Um, like the, I mean, they tore up the Broncos. Now, what the Bucks did, you're right, was disrespectful. There aren't a lot of Todd Bowles. There's not a lot of teams that can have a blitz package like that. But do I expect Jalen Hurts to see a ton more aggressive blitzing? Uh, because if you, if you looked at his season, he basically played well except for four games. And it was the two against the Bucks, and it was the two against the Giants. And there there were some similarities with, with what they did. Patrick Graham like really dialed it up. 
and Hertz mm-hmm. didn't make quick decisions. They were counting on Hertz holding the ball. They were counting on being being able to cover uh, those guys. I think AJ Brown is is obviously an answer uh, for that. Now you have two guys who are going to be very difficult to to cover one on one. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're worried about the Eagles' offense, I think that's like one of the first things that they're going to have to answer early in the season. But I think if it was that simple, like pe- people would have been doing it m- more often and having greater success. And and they can hit like if it doesn't work, they're going to hit you with big plays like over and over. Yeah, I mean, Jalen hurts like can like he does like he he can hit on some of those deep balls that I think are going to be available to him in this offense. You know, I think so, like this, right now, I think uh, people talk about him like he is a running back, and which I think is a pretty unfair characterization of what we saw like the second half of last season in particular. Um, there will be accuracy struggles, especially over the middle of the field at times. And, you know, he will hold on to the football too long. But because he's so dominant, as a runner, he only has to be like a good passer, like a decent passer. Like he doesn't have to make special throws. And I think um, having like do special wide receiving group will, I, I don't know, just like make life so much easier for him that it won't matter. But, but here's the thing. And now I'll, I'll just start ranting on Hertz. I'll shut me up if it's going too long. But but to, to going, prepare, you watch like all the playoff games and you watched a bunch of teams. I just watched I'll a just ton of Jalen Hurts and then I was like, oh, I'm out of time. But that was fun. Because I like watching Jalen Hurts, he he is a he makes more plays throwing like per throw than I think anyone gives him credit for. I mean, he's absolutely a playmaker, like as a passer. Um, like his big time throw rate that that Pro Football Focus has was very high, um, especially considering that he didn't throw that many. Like I think that's difficult, Nate. And, and Nate and I, I'm trying to get him on Team Jalen Hurts here, and I'm I'm not even sure Jalen Hurts is going to be great, but I just don't think he needs to be that much better for this offense to be really explosive. But I think part of my like thing with him is he is going to make those crazy, like Russell Wilson, Russell type Wilson throws sometimes. Uh, but Russell Wilson is accurate. <laughs> On those, so those like zero to not zero, like ten to twenty yard. I wouldn't say gimmies necessarily, but like those intermediate crossers. Russell Wilson yep. will be at like, and I, I Jalen doesn't isn't consistently. No, you know it, what, what I was going with was he, Nate. He was throws like, he throws Nate's some pretty say, bad balls. Right, Nate's gonna say, and and I I totally understand it. Like counting on winning with like iso ball, which is like this just like go make a play like it's tough to do over and over. Uh, but I just think those plays will be there um, and they are going to be a part oh. of their offense. And especially when you have Devontae Smith and AJ Brown on your offense, Somewhat, it's going to help. And Dallas Goddard, who like yeah. low key has become one of the best tight ends in the NFL um, and is so I, I feel like is like actually actually underrated we always argue about like who's underrated right. overrated because rating is so um like who's doing the rating but i actually think he is underrated because he's so freaking good and somebody is always going to be open in this offense um and he should have time like you, he holds the ball too long i mean that's his number one thing is he has to make quicker right. decisions um he, he led the league in time to throw last year uh but which that, of course is 
and, but he can stand back. Part of it is because he can. I mean, and their offensive yeah. line is, is going to be awesome. Mylotta should only get better. Dickerson had a pretty good rookie year, got better as he went. You bring back Kelsey, Lane Johnson. You have a second-round pick in Jurgens. It's like on the bench. You have Andre Dillard as your swing tackle, which is a nice like uh, reserve. And so he's going to have that time. And, and I guess I just wouldn't, don't want to move on from the Hurts part of it without just like emphasizing that as good a runner as everyone thinks he is, I just feel like he's better than that. Um, yeah, that's he, actually. I felt that way watching the Bucks game, even though it was like tough <laughs> at times. Right. Uh, especially, but it, it, it was hard because it, it went on. Like, okay, I do think you can argue this offense is not built to play from behind. We should. I think that is Absolutely. something we can agree Absolutely. on. Um, but even in like the second quarter, when they were, I don't know, down like three scores or whatever, and they were running zone read and the Bucks read it correctly, he would still pick up nine yards because he's so strong and so fast. And I, I think like, that's a really, like, he's not just a runner. He's a special runner. Like he is right there behind Lamar. Right. I, I've loved running quarterbacks since you know, ever since I'm a kid. I just want you just want to like it. Just makes the game more fun to watch. You know whether Cunningham was my first, but then Dante Culpepper and 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 I put him in that sort of category at least early in his career of like a Cam type of runner. If you just look at like ten plus runs last year, and you look at his attempts, the two best runners in the league in terms of when they run the ball, uh, uh, are you going to get a first down? Were Josh Allen. Uh, in Jalen Hurts, and it, and I just don't think in his this year that he's gonna like totally back off running. I think they know that's what he does well. I don't think they know if he's gonna be their quarterback forever, and I think it's gonna be a part of their offense. And he he makes guys miss. He's good in short areas. Like he has patience. He has vision. Like he's a runner. Like he has a. He's not quite Cam, but like he he's close to that ballpark. And then you just don't need to be that good of a passer. Like it's just going to open up things for you and certainly the teammates. And that's why I just think the upside of like the big plays that, that he could generate and the downside is going to be there. You might have games like that bucks, but the upside is like so high. And I, I think they could cook. I think if you get ahead, it's the next gen stats. I posted this, they have this, um, you know, they do expectations. So they have rushing yards, over expectation, meaning like, you know, how many yards is the average back expected to pick up uh, down in distance and, you know, where with the blocking, where the defense is. Miles Sanders was expected to average 5.3 yards per carry last year. Five, <laughs> no, 5.13, pardon me, 5.13. But still, that is abjectly insane. That's and some stupid. of it is the That's offensive sort of what line. I mean. That's no, what no, I yeah. Mean. It's, some of it is the blocking, but. Playing next to Jalen Hurts does that. that. That I think is why, even though Miles Sanders like produced at a high level, Eagles fans are still like, eh, like is he that good? You know, like uh, because it's playing running back in that offense is probably the most fun thing in the NFL. Most fun, right? Um, right, and and Jalen Jalen can do that, and then he he can scramble. And this year, instead of like Quez Watkins being, you know, his. Number two, he, they wasted a lot of time on Rager. It's like Quez Watkins is your three. When, I mean, three, Goddard's yeah. really your three, but Quez Watkins is your four. And then I even like Zach Pascal as your fourth Slack, wideout. It's, I love the backups on this team. I feel like they, this is a team that can withstand injuries. Um, and then the last thing on the offense is just they, they did change. Like when Shane Steichen started calling plays, they kind of revealed that after the season. Yeah. It is about when things went well. And I think they did a nice job overall. And so I kind of like this coaching staff. 
Yeah, and they confirmed that he's going to be the primary play caller this season. Um, okay, defensively, also a very deep group. Um, boy, James Bradbury hurts. <laughs> just looking at the dead start. I, again, just like, what? Um I think I had them six on my defensive rankings. I, let's just start here. Where, where do you have them approximately? Is that too rich? No. I mean, I it's another what team that can like withstand injuries where they're they're eight deep on the defensive line, and I think the Bradbury, you know, signing kind of completed that secondary. I'd probably have them like eight, yeah, eight or nine. I remember I was trying so, to help. I, I was trying to come up with my rankings. They'd be in there. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, they definitely. The the corner group isn't deep, by the way. Um, so they do need all these guys to stay healthy. But like, you know, once I, I talked about this with the defense, you know, I don't want to free hash it, but like, you know, Avante Maddox, much better in the slot. I guess the safety group is a little bit dicey. Um they but, bring you know, in Tart, so, who who at least is a Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Player. Underrated signing. He, he can play. Yeah. Yeah. They've got a lot of like yeah. these like margin like you know, like Hassan Reddick's like what? <laughs> Now he's on this team. Um, set up in you, you go from Ryan Kerrigan to Son Reddick. You go from um, Eric Wilson, Jannard Avery to hopefully Nicobe Dean. If you play, I would say if Nicobe Dean isn't healthy, linebacker is still a problem on this team. So that would be where. And uh, you know there were so many question marks about Dean's health around the draft and him dropping where he did. I think that might be where I would say like, okay, we could still see some of the same issues with this Eagles defense at times. No doubt safe, that that's a kind of a boomer bust position because he also could be a huge upgrade. And if if he's playing next to Kaiser White, who's was always a player I really liked with with the Chargers, and I think came into his own. Really? Like suddenly that goes from a really hmm. bad group to a, a promising group. I would I don't know about Kaiser White, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're you're not in. Not really. I don't know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a team that ranked 29th in DVOA on passes over the middle of the field. And I think that's, again, like that could be where sort of Ramsian, like the Rams, that could be kind of where this team lives or dies a little bit on defense. But, you know, like, it, again, the, the, otherwise it's just depth everywhere. Like Jordan Davis doesn't really need to play a lot. That was fun, by the way. Watch Even the Bucks game, like uh, the Eagles defense played well in the first half and um, it was just kind of fun to be like, all oh, right, like Brandon Graham is still freaking awesome. Like just watching all of the guys, even though they're getting older on this defensive front, they're all still really, right. really good. And now you've got this like influx of talent and they're it's possible. Yeah. He won't start either like Brandon Graham, or at least it'll just be rotated evenly. Like we, we should go through, like, it's kind of why I liked the Eagles a lot last year going into the season, at least to like beat, you know, they were over under six and a half going into the year. And I just thought they'd be average because the both lines are so good but the defensive line brandon graham and, and you mentioned reddick kind of as the as the top mm-hmm. edge guys but they also have Derek barnett back josh sweat who Sweat's. is on a big deal is good you have javon hargrave in the middle who was third in pass rush win rate cock fletcher cox is back and then milton williams who i know they like love internally and had a good rookie season as a defensive tackle and jordan davis just like that is that it's not quite 2017 level, but that is deep. That's and a, that, and they that have is to a lot that. of rotation. Yeah. These guys are going to be, yeah, it is truly like a masterclass in like kind of aging out your superstars. Right. Um, on that front. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah, I mean, I don't have the depth chart right in front of me, but I do feel like the cornerback group behind those three guys, behind Slay, Bradbury, and Maddox, there could be some problems there. I mean, cornerback has uh, been ab- an issue Absolutely, which is why Bradbury felt like an, a really nice late signing, Huge. which I think well, they've done a good job yeah. of. But you're right. Absolutely, that's that's their weakness. It's, and I don't know if, like, I totally – I'm in on the offensive coaches. I, I don't know if I'm in on Jonathan yeah. Gannon or the defensive coaches in Head coaching candidate, Jonathan Gannon, not in <laughs> I mean, um, I He's certainly got the players to to work with. It'll be interesting to see if that defensive scheme evolves at all. But um, yeah, I, 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 the Eagles are just so the, the roster is just so so good. Just to put a cap on it, um, like I, they are my pick to win the division. I've gone back and forth because of the Dak thing. Was it um, my Hurts enthusiasm? I don't feel like it was, but uh... no, I, I you kind of had. I mean, they, they they're gonna be. They're going to be a, a rushing monster. Well, gosh, like who was a team that, I mean, I guess if the Ravens backs are healthy and, you know, that they, now that they've got an invigorated offensive line, they'll make a pretty strong push. But, um, and then I don't know. Yeah. I mean, who, who challenges the Eagles as a rushing offense right now? Right. I just think big plays in the run game and the pass game. I I feel like they have like a Super Bowl ceiling. Like I'm not saying they would be my pick to make the Super Bowl, but I think they have like a chance. Um, And it's just funny that like to me, I would think of the Eagles as one of, you know, the analytics teams. And like, I just love that, you know, like their analytics consistently is just like pay and draft huge men as much as possible. Just big, big people. That's, that's who we want to pay. Yeah, it's hard to think that like an offense, this is what I said during the Napot, like an offense that finished top 10 last year would add AJ Brown and not get better. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's like an AJ Brown. He's so good. Um, they're going to be really fun to watch. I this might I would put them high, forget power rankings, they are definitely high on my list of teams that I'm excited to watch this year. Um very high actually. So, good for you Eagles. All right, I am picking the Eagles. You convince me. I I wish I just didn't watch that game right before we did this podcast. I think Eagles fans feel the same That's what everyone thinks of with Jalen Hurts, too. That's what everyone Uh, thinks is that game. They're other good games. Yeah. I think Eagles fans are... are, I don't have my finger on the pulse, although I I do have a lot of them in my life, but I think there's a similar level of eh, like tentative excitement, but coupled with pain from that last experience. And... uh, Yeah, we'll see. All right. As always, let's wrap with a few questions for our guest. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans. Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. (laughs) But uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. 
One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Dinks and dunks, four questions for Greg. Five, four from me, one from Lenny. Um, I'll start here with, so I I haven't talked to you about the Patriots much this offseason. Where would you put your optimism level on a scale of zero, thinking first in the draft, 10 Super Bowl? <laughs> uh, six. You know, it, it hasn't been. Do you think they're a wild card team? I think they're, the AFC is so deep. If they were in the NFC, I would say yes. I think in the AFC, they're just like one of many of those teams in that mix. They tend to beat expectations when they have these off seasons that people aren't that excited about. I have no idea what he's going to be doing with the defense. Obviously, the offensive coaching um, situation is a concern. But I I think I'm pretty high on Mac um, Jones generally that there's this idea that like, well, he was good as a rookie, but like he's not going to improve but i i don't understand why that would be the case i i think his ceiling is still very high like being a top 10 quarterback this year and if that's the case then they can wow. be pretty good who is like the player you see his ceiling as phil rivers i mean it's like a different generation no that's um, a good one but I, in a like little different one. but yeah i think that's that's where i would go that's a fun one um, I can totally see that too. Uh, he, he's got okay. some. He's got some traits. He did. I think he he did a little more than people noticed last year. He was. It, it wasn't I all thought, that conservative. I was. We'll talk about the Patriots at some point. But I was. I thought he showed a lot more movement skills than mm-hmm. I expected. Uh, I liked the way he moved in the pocket and commanded it. So, all right. Question two: Do you believe Rob Gronkowski is actually retired? No. Because because uh, Drew Rosenhaus doesn't. Why does he say it? I don't understand. Like why why say it? What's the Maybe, what's it the must game? feel good. It's kind of like um, you Going know your own funeral, or yeah, or just like you know whenever you if you're someone that like jumps jobs a lot, you really get that Twitter celebration like every year and a half or so, and like you know Gronk gets that but, celebration. You know, but here's the thing if you do it too many times you don't get the legit like i noticed even this time around people were like oh here's some of his greatest plays yeah he's he was good like i feel like if you you cry retirement too much people kind of you get a little celebration fatigue i i wonder if that's going to happen with brady by the way when he does retire because i'll tell you i do not want to give <laughs> do to do as much content as i did because no. he retired already no and in this case i mean with with gronk I, I think even before Rosenhaus, uh, his agent said uh, that he might be coming back and he th- kind of thinks he's coming back. Like everyone was already saying that. So I, I think it was instructive that my old uh, boss, Mike Florio, did a post where he didn't put any sources. And it's like, I, I know how he how things happen, where he, he, he opined that it came down to money and that like if basically he wasn't going to get the money he wanted then he might he doesn't want to play the full season but that indicates to me he's probably coming back for we, for half of it playoff run um yeah if we, they're good yeah okay question three if they're good <laughs> they should um, right i mean they should be the best i would probably put them you know right there at the top 
over the deck led Philadelphia Eagles. Um, <laughs> question three. Uh, so Amazon has Thursday Night Football. They have a studio show. They've got Ryan Fitzpatrick, Richard Sherman, Tony Gonzalez, I think. Anyways, Fitzpatrick and Sherman, I feel like whenever we would have a discussion like who's an athlete you'd want to see a studio show, those are probably the two names that came up a lot. Uh, I was wondering if you have any like underrated current players that you would like to see on a studio show. Mm. Um, great question. Do you have any while I'm trying to, while I'm scrambling? <laughs> um, well, I've, I, I've been pushing for Cam Hayward to be on more programming. And now he has a podcast after coming on my podcast. That's what, hey, hey, athletes, hey, NFL players, you come on the Mina Kimes show, you get your own podcast. Uh, he's also with Omaha. That was announced. Um, he's, I think he's excellent. Um, and he gives takes, which is, you know, it's, that's always a question. It's like, will you give takes? Which is a lot easier after you've retired, obviously, although Sherman was never afraid of giving takes while he was doing it. Um, who else would I like out of the current? I can jump in because suddenly I just realized like the Saints have so many. Like Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, popped up just yeah. because whenever he has a microphone, that dude cracks me up and i just love his uh energy he would bring a different he's energy very, and he's, he is very it. humorous uh and i, I think the uh, honey badger and cam jordan on that very team um would both be good at so it honey badger i ran i ran to cam jordan at the combine and we were talking about this and he kept denying to me that he wanted to go into and i was like come on Every time you do an interview is like an addition for like a studio show. I mean that in a good way. He's fantastic. He's like, no, it's not for me. And I was like, this, I, you protest too much. He he seems more than any play, current player like the obvious guy that we're gonna see on TV. But I don't know. He denied it. All right, question four. Um, content recommendation. Give me one. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna go book. I'm going to go uh, Emily St. John Mandel. Um, the new one. Her new book, Sea of Tranquility. Um, why am I blanking on her first book that was just made into an HBO Station, show? I'm an Station idiot. 11. Station right. 11. Which, like, I wasn't, like, the biggest Station 11 as a book fan ever. Um, but I loved her last two books, Glass Hotel and especially Sea of Tranquility. And I heard you, or I saw you tweet about uh, Jennifer Egan's new book. And I feel like if you like that book, it, it's very different topics, but it's it's about the pandemic and about like modern technology, but not about the pandemic. And it's just so well done. But I would say to read those books in order, unfortunately, should, reading Glass Hotel first, even though it's not totally connected, it's a little connected, makes it even better. Great book. A lot of people have recommended Sea of Tranquility to me. Um, mm. Okay. I have two audio recommendations because this is usually I listen to basketball podcasts, but now I don't for obvious reasons. Um, so I've been listening to other things. Uh, one, I I've, <laughs> have been just like burning through back episodes of Freakonomics Radio, the Stephen, Stephen okay. Dubner podcast. Uh, the latest one is about blockchain, which I've, 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 I've been kind of wanting a good blockchain explainer and like how blockchain works and is used in non-Bitcoin um, functions. Uh, he has a great episode about being at why NFL long snappers make a million dollars and why like that sort of specialized job uh, has value that I would recommend people listen to. Also, it's hmm. way back in the archives, but I really enjoyed that. Um, and then musically, I gave... So I didn't like love um, the, this 
British band, or they're from the UK, Wet Leg. It's two young women. They had a single that went viral called Chase Lounge last year that I didn't love, but I've been listening to the album and I really like the album. And I would, uh, it's also called Wet Leg. So. Okay, I need to do this. This is the second time you've mentioned this to me. So now I'm, I'm definitely doing it. And you're, you were right. Tokyo Vice, by the way, is kind of dumb, but fun dumb, uh, but dumb. <laughs> Um, wait, if we're throwing out music too, then I'm throwing out the new Vince Staples and Sharon Van Etten albums. I've got them like just on totally love, love them both. I haven't listened to the Sharon Van Etten album. How does it compare? To it's my this fa- is what I would the, say it's this my is what favorite. people are here for. This yeah, is what it's my favorite are. one. Uh, in, in minute, an hour 20, a discussion of uh, Sharon Van Etten's catalog. My favorite Okay, one. last question. Wow. Okay, I'll, I'll get a listen next. As always, comes from Lenny. Uh, Lenny knows that you're a big fan of the Celtics. Would you agree that he has better ball skills than Jalen Brown? Oh, I mean, Jalen Brown was one of the only uh, Celtics who showed up in those last three games. So I got nothing negative to say about Jalen Brown. That's that's untoward. What about Derek White? You've got a lot of negative things to say about Derek White and his hairline. You you ruined Derek White. No, I, mean, not, I hope you muted, can live not, with that. The second you mentioned it to me, he was ruined and he didn't play another good game. It's your fault. Oh, I, I said nothing. Nothing. <laughs>